Hey everybody, live from the Quote Wizard boardroom, welcome to episode 52 of the Coffee and Codecast, a tech podcast where we talk about neither coffee or code. I'm your host, Mike Sheehan. Kyle's on vacation this week. Uh, Today on the podcast, I'd like to introduce a special guest. He's currently a principal cloud architect at a Fortune 50 company. Uh, He's worked in numerous roles at many companies, some of which he even started. Has worn many hats, including owner, director, architect, engineer, consultant, among many other titles. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to the cast, Tim Wilfong. Welcome, Tim. Hey, thanks, Mike. Good introduction. Good to have you here, man. So uh, Kyle's out of town. He's in Asia, and he kind of uh, left me here to like take take over. And so I was uh, talking to you last week, and I was like, hey, would you like to come on the show? And yeah, it sounded great. I've been been wanting to do this. We've been listening to you. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot, and so I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Um, well, shit. Thanks for joining us, man. Tell me, tell the, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, what you're up to. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you gave a pretty good introduction. Um, yeah, I just started that position. That's new for me, but I've been at that same company for uh, six years now. Um, I've basically been doing DevOps ever since before it was a thing. Yeah, uh, and uh, been uh, involved in Kubernetes for the last. Uh, two and a half years or so um also since before it was really i was gonna say before it was really anything (laughs) yeah yeah, wow yeah so uh leading edge great to talk about that yeah (laughs) awesome man awesome so glad you could be here today in the uh quote wizard uh studio 5f over here the boardroom it's a good plug (laughs) (laughs) thanks to our sponsor unofficial sponsor for letting us uh drink their beer and uh sit at the table here so oh we got some good people on today too so Got a, my, my Midwest contingencies with us today, Andy and Christine. Thanks for joining us again. And it looks like Carrie's on. Oh, really? I think Car- yeah. I think you brought Carrie, actually. She wanted to see you Maybe. on here because she doesn't yeah. usually watch me talk on this damn thing. Uh, but she, yeah, she'll, she'll regret it later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, we got, and we got Rain on here, too. What's up, Rain? Rainmaker. So uh, good crew so far and a few more people trickling in, too. So great to have everyone. Uh, oh, yeah, Kelso here at Gomer. Our former guest, he's uh, also hailing from Iowa. Well, no, not anymore. He's down in uh, Kentucky right now. Works oh. for UPS. Oh. We've got people all over the states joining us today. So a uh, little bit of follow-up show news. Don't have a whole lot to say. You know, I mentioned it already. Kyle's out of town. He's in Asia. I had to wake him up this morning. It was like 5 a.m. And uh, I don't know where he was. He was in Ho Chi Minh City last time I talked to him. You just get there? He just got there yesterday, yeah. I think. Yeah. And so... Um, I've never had South Carolina. I'm sorry, brother. I got, I got that screwed up. I don't know why I was <laughs> thinking. I was thinking Louisville because of UPS. I don't know. Um, UPS World uh, Hub. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> yeah, I had to wake him up in, this morning because I had never set up the equipment before. Usually I do the bare minimum. And I just, I'm the talent, you know, like usually he just comes on. And Let's hope Ty- Kyle is this later. Yeah, he <laughs> may or may not. Say. We can edit that out later, you know, before it goes like to the, to the podcast reel. But uh, yeah, usually I just come in and I throw the board together and get the laptop and then I start drinking beer and then he does all the fancy shit with the camera. So I'm glad that we are able to get it set up and working pretty good for the most part. So this is like a real studio. almost. It, doesn't it feel like it? Kinda. I mean, it's, it's kind of yeah. there. I think sort of we have the equipment dialed in pretty much i mean yeah. we could do a little better with the cameras yeah it's um, fancy it's nice but it's pretty nice and yeah. and what we're trying to do so right now we're just on facebook but that streaming device has a kind of a custom option where you can do a, your own art was it rtmp streaming server and so you could do a multicast to youtube twitch oh yada yada and so no, sir. you still haven't quite found the limits of no. your setup yet That's so right good. now we're we're just limited to facebook but we get a lot of people on here anyway 
-hmm. and hopefully we can do a multi and just blast it out everywhere. But I would like to get some more stuff. It does support like four cameras or six cameras or something. Yeah. So we get close ups. Yeah. When you start, you know, really getting famous, we get big when we get, (laughs) when we get like, when we get, well, we do have about 1100 subscribers, but as far as like weekly listeners, it's still in the double digits and occasionally we'll break a hundred. But yeah, when we get big league, we start getting sponsorships and all that cool stuff. Well, you know. See how it goes. We'll see Hopefully, goes. I added one to that list. I hope you did. <laughs> Carrie did. I don't think Carrie left yet, so I'm, no, that's great. Good. I think that's awesome. Uh, another piece of follow-up show news. Anyway, Kyle, uh, before I jump over there, he'll be back not next week, but the week after. So we're gonna we're gonna miss him for two episodes. But uh, we're lining up another guest for next week. I don't know if you know this this guy. Um, I got introduced him through Kyle, but his name's Andrew Woods, and he's pretty big in the PHP community. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, he lived in Seattle. He recently moved to New York City. And so he's out there, um, but he was excited to come on. So we're going to try to do that. That'll be even more interesting because the video, I guess, will just be on me. I don't even know mm-hmm. how that's going to work. The video mm-hmm. will just be in here, but then he'll be dialed in remotely in the board. So oh. we'll see. So that will be a new thing for you guys. Yeah, that'll be a new thing for us. And, uh, oh, uh, like I said, got a ton of listeners there. Who's that that just joined? Hmm. Don't want to mention any names there. Okay, I'll say hi to Christina. I, that's Kyle's wife joined. I give her a hard time. I didn't mention that she was on last week, and she didn't like that very much. So I'm kind of teasing her a little bit. I used to these uh, headphones yet. Here we go. Ooh, that's better. You getting better there? Yeah. Good. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh Thinking of you in Vietnam. Oh, they're in Vietnam right now. Awesome. Hope you guys have a great time. Send some pictures from Vietnam. Uh, one more bit of follow-up show news. We talk about the Apple TV quite a bit. We cover a lot of Apple products, as you know. Apple and Tesla is kind of like our bread and butter. And so um, there was a bit of news that came out this week that the Apple TV app is now available on Roku for all the Roku hardware owners out there, um, which is cool. They're kind of... Uh, productizing this thing where it used to be hardware only you had to have the apple tv to watch apple tv and now with the latest release of os 10 catalina and updates to the software now you can get the apple tv app on all your devices so right Didn't, uh, doesn't uh, x1 have that now too i don't know x1 uh, yeah xfinity x1 something oh like that. you would I've know a little that. bit about that possibly <laughs> yeah i think i think that <laughs> fortune 50 company that i work for might know a little bit about that interesting <laughs> So, yeah. so you're saying the Apple TV app is on X1 as well? Don't quote me on that. Okay. Yeah. It wouldn't uh, surprise me, though, because they did. They opened it up. Now it's a software. They do. They, yeah, Netflix. They have all the, uh, you know, they have deals with Roku, so it wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting, man. Yeah. Okay. You can get Apple TV pretty much anywhere you want to get it now, so that's good to know. Um, that's really all I've got there. I mean, let's, uh, mm. let's get a little bit into the news here, Tim. Do you have anything else you want to add before we move on? No. <laughs> Putting you on the spot here, man. You're running a little low on beer. I'll be on, this, I'll I think be on the spot to, later. Might yeah, need to fill maybe, up there. Maybe we do need some beer. All right, we're going to switch also over to really the news here. I really should have cleaned my glasses before I started here. But that's Is it right. a little foggy right I now? I don't need to see. It was raining pretty good when you came over here, yeah, too. It's like the, the, the sky opened up or something. Yeah. Let's see. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get on to the news. Ooh, I'm a little foggy at this. I don't usually do the soundboard either. That's Kyle's job, so I had the volume off on that one. Kyle, we need you back here, man. I don't know what the hell I'm doing in this place. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we gotta, we're going to save most of our time for the topic tonight because, yeah, like given your background and experience and, and you know, given the fact that I recently switched over into more of a, 
DevOps type of, uh, you know, working with DevOps, like there's a lot that we can talk about in that realm. So I'm leaving a lot of time for topics today. We do have a few items in the news, though. The main event this week was the Made by Google event. Uh, that happened, uh, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, a lot of hardware announcements, a lot of product announcements came out of that event. Um, a few big ones, like the main one really is uh, the Pixel 4, 4XL. So like their new phone came out. Yeah. yeah. Big deal. Um, you know, there's some really cool stuff that came out with that. They've got a built-in radar. Have you heard about this? No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> phone has a built-in radar. So one of the problems they're trying to solve is, you know, like Face ID can take a while to like actually get the phone to unlock once you once it recognizes your face. And so what it does now is if you start to lift the phone up, it turns on a radar that will scan your face from an angle. Yeah. And then uh, by the time you lift it up, it, it'll open the phone. Is the that claim. sounds promising. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Could work. Yeah. We'll see if it actually works. Do we really need radar to unlock the phone, though? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems like we're I mean, getting how, a little... How hard is it to wait, <laughs> you know, an extra tenth point, of a second? <laughs> point one seconds yeah. to unlock the phone. I mean, of all the complaints that I have, the speed at which it unlocks usually isn't one of them. No. How about you? Not what are me. Are you a... You're an Apple guy, yeah? No, well, you know, I'm a mix. Uh, I got a MacBook. I love the MacBook. I've, yeah. I've been a MacBook person for, uh, like eight years or so, nine years. Uh, but, uh, you know, I like my Android. I had an iPhone. My first smartphone was the iPhone 3G. Okay. And, uh, you know, um, but I pretty quickly went to Android. I'm kind of a tinker, you know? Yeah. I like to tinker with my stuff, and uh, Apple doesn't really want you doing that for good reason. Like, I think your average person doesn't want to do that with their phone. So I would agree. Yeah. It's just some people just dumb it down, just make it work. I don't care about customizations and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Just get it to work. And Apple makes great products, you know, like uh, their, their, their MacBooks are the best laptop I've ever used. I have issues with some of their operating system choices, but, you know, <laughs> I, it's a good trade off. Like all in all, it's a great product. So, you when know. you say that, are you talking about the kernel more or less like the yeah, li yeah. version of Linux, the distro they work well, with? Well, wait, wait, it's not really Linux, but they make it feel like Linux a lot, at least when you're on the command line. Yeah. Uh, uh, just a few things were... Uh, in the interest of making it easier to use, and in the, in the interest of having all the bells and whistles that, like, you, they're, to be fair, their average audience wants, uh, they steal some cycles that I don't really want to give them to do that stuff, but I don't have a choice about it because no. it's Apple, right? Right. But still worth it. It's still a great product. I mean, like, it's a small complaint, not a big complaint. Totally. Yeah. I've gone back and forth. I'm kind of a best tool for the job guy myself, yeah. and yeah. so um, I'm. I mean, I have the Mac book here for. For a long time, most of my career has been in development, and for me, there's no better tool for development than a MacBook. Oh, I agree. I agree. Like the, the thing. I mean, your only other option, which is better today than it was five years ago, but is you get a good laptop like a Lenovo. You know those old ThinkPads, and uh, mm -hmm. the, it used to be the IBM ThinkPad. Put Linux on there, you know Ubuntu, and you're good. Except for it won't work with all your corporate stuff necessarily, you know, yeah. it didn't used to do Netflix. Now maybe it does, you know, but it's still hard, right? It's still extra work you got to do. It gets you like 80%, maybe even more there, but not quite. Yeah. 100%. Most people don't want to mess with that. They're getting the rest of the way there. Like yeah. Apple's got it. They've got that figured out. I agree. And even, you know, it is a little disappointing that they won't open Xcode up. I mean, that's one thing that I really, if, if Xcode worked on a PC, then that would kind of destroy that whole thing. But as it stands, you have to have the Mac to do any kind of OS development. Yeah. 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 Closed ecosystem, right? Yeah. yeah. It's good and bad. There's good things about it. 
bad things about it. But yeah. aside from that, I really love it. But I've gone back and forth. I had the original Pixel phone. I had the Pixel XL. I don't remember. I had one of the original Pixel phones. Really great phones. I remember the time that I was leaving iPhone to go over, and I was I was kind of nervous to do it. I'm techie, so I didn't think it would be a big deal. But um, I still wasn't sure what the experience would be like, and I thought it would be kind of a foreign deal. And I have to say that the work that they've done over the years on Android has been fantastic. I mean, yeah. you can do – it was an easy transition. It didn't take much time at all to figure it out. And because I'm really big on Google's platforms, um, that was even better experience. Yeah, on. do you think, though, they would get – they would have been as good as they are now if Apple wasn't there with this great product? Like Definitely uh, not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good to have both. I, I like – Competitive. Like I really don't want either one of these things to go away. And, yeah. Totally. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I like that they have to keep up with each other and try to keep competing yeah. to make a better product. And, and, it, and, and the consumer wins because now whether you like OS 10 or, or Apple or Android, like you're going to have a pretty good product either way. Yeah. I mean, how yeah, much more can be, you really squeeze it, out of it? It'd be great if there were a third <laughs> choice. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it would. Maybe the resurrection would. <laughs> of Windows Phone, maybe, yeah, or something? No. <laughs> I don't know. They, they've tried a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, the Nokia flop. That didn't go over very well. Man. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, but, yeah, so, so Pixel 4 came out, and it's kind of funny because, like we were talking, like these things are so good now that it's really hard to have a major iteration. Uh, aside from bigger cameras, or in the case of iPhone, more cameras, um, software improvements, uh, chip is faster, more RAM. Like what? There's only so much you can really do. I mean, I really feel like now it's it's kind of logarithmic growth, and there's only so much before you really stall out. You know, right? Totally. And and on this phone, kind of the same thing. I mean, they're putting radar in there to unlock the phone, but it's yeah. a little gimmicky. Well, it's all about it's all about the gimmicks now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all about making your phone do things. <laughs> but you know, like those things eventually turn into something people can't live without. So who's Who's, that's who's fair. Say? You yeah. think it's silly, but then if you don't have it, you're bitching about it because I'm used to that now. Or maybe there's something I don't care about now, but five years from now, that turns into something I do care about. That's true, too. You know? Yeah. Um, aside from that, some other cool features. Now they're putting more AI, ML type uh, capabilities into the into the hardware itself, where a lot of, like good. in the past, it was more kind of a dumb terminal, uh, send it up to the cloud. They have a live transcribe feature now. So even in offline mode, it'll transcribe speech to text without having to go to the cloud. That's kind of cool to have yeah. in your pocket. And they even have a uh, translation service that they demoed that in some capacity worked offline too. I don't know how much, how far that'll go, but it was doing real-time translation oh, as That's well, great. Which is huge. Yeah, right. Like remember the the early days of Google Translator, you'd be like, you'd say it into the phone and then you'd wait. Yes. Depending on how fast the network that you're on was and, and come back. Shoot up to space, yeah. come back down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a great feature. I would love that as a traveler. I mean, I, you know, going to other countries and that sort of a thing, if there was a way to have that. I, I saw that demo where they had some kind of headset or something where, you know, you and your, whoever you're communicating with, like could, could both hear the real time translation. Yeah. And uh, this just reminds me of that. It's like I'm gonna go watch course. that. Yeah, it's that very cool. Great. I don't remember if it was a Google thing or who did it, but it was something where it was damn near real time and uh, really slick. I mean, I still want to learn language, but you wouldn't have to. Yeah, 
I guess that yeah. could be outdated yep. at some point. Um, do you want to hear a short story about this? Like, Tell me about it. Yeah. So that technology, um, uh, and I was in Thailand recently, and you you like talk to a lot of people that don't, they speak a little English, but not a lot, and they want to interact with tourists. And I saw this like a ton of times while I was there. Someone would talk into their phone and then show you. Like, really? Yeah. They would say whatever they were trying to tell you if you didn't quite understand what they were trying to tell you in English. And then they would show you and you could read it and you'd be like, oh, and then I get it. You'd talk back into the phone and then and then like <laughs> give it back to them and then show them in Thai the thing you were trying to wow. tell them. And that, yeah, it worked, right? It wasn't perfect, but it was just an extra tool, right? And that's as, I think as long as people keep in mind these things are just tools, it's all good, right? And I like that it, that there was an open mindedness about it because I think as a tourist visiting another country, like I would have some apprehension about pulling out a phone and doing that. I mean, I would, yeah. if I really needed to communicate, yeah. but it wouldn't be my first line of thought. It's like I, before I go to a trip, I try to learn some basic words and study up a little bit and do some Duolingo or something. Uh, I hope people don't stop doing that. <laughs> I hope so too, yeah. because I think that's a more natural experience, obviously. Yeah. But I would be really reluctant even just to do the phone thing anyway. Like, are they just going to, Ignore it, walk away, laugh or something. But that's cool oh. that they kind of embrace that a little bit. And yeah, I saw it. I saw it a lot. Awesome, yeah. especially in like cabs. Yeah, you know, they oh, where they have go? control of the doors. <laughs> You're not gonna run away with their phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were there for what, like a ten days or something like that. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. something like that. Awesome. We've done some travel together. We did. We just did Oktoberfest. Oh yeah, that was fun. Which was cool. It was yeah. a it was a local version of it up here in Leavenworth. I think most of what happened there stays there. I'm not bringing anything up. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. But I just I'm yeah. pointing it out though. I mean we've we've done we've done a few trips. Like we did we did the real Oktoberfest a few years ago. That's true. That yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah, that's an experience. <laughs> Definitely yeah. go to that if you can. If you get a chance to go to Munich, I'd like to go back again. Yeah, whole different experience. Yeah, okay, let's do it. I think we should go back. I think well, <laughs> we there's just, some. We talk. just agreed to do that here, uh, like with all these witnesses. So now I have now to do it because happen. we said it was going to happen, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm, there was some talk of maybe going again next October, September. Really, it's in September in Germany, but maybe next September. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I don't have any. I haven't gone international in about a year. Last was Barcelona last May, so I'm due. Yeah. Kyle, Kyle's, hey, KJ joined he, us from Vietnam. <laughs> Looking good, guys. Speaking of international. Speaking of international, our own co-host here uh, joined us on episode 52. Looking good. Uh, awesome, dude. I really ca I can't uh, believe that I got all this stuff set up. You know, I, I lean on you too much, Kyle. I, I'm sorry I don't, like, chip in my, put in my own weight around here. I'm going to do a better job when you get back, I promise. But I'm still going to have you um, push this episode onto the online when it's all done. I don't know how to do all that. So anyway, hope you guys have a great trip. It's really hot out there. He said it's like 101, humid, crazy. And what is this? Your new mic here on the tour bus. What are you talking about? He sent me something. I, I do this often. Where, uh, what is? Oh, wow. So he's showing me a photo from the tour bus. It's some kind of golden karaoke mic or something like that. That looks pretty baller. <laughs> That's dude. great. That looks pretty <laughs> awesome. That's a hell of a tour bus you got there, dude. I hope there's some AC on that thing. Um, anyway, I digress. Drink lots of water. Yeah, drink some water, stay hydrated. We want you to be healthy and well when you come back for episode 54. Holy crap, man. We started this thing October 24th, 2017. So we're coming up on two years. Uh, two year, two year anniversary. Yeah. Huh. Two year anniversary. So I think he gets back right after that. But um, 
50, 53 episodes in two years. Not too shabby. That's an accomplishment. Yeah. Totally. And speaking of other things, uh, we don't have to get into this too much because I want to save time for the topic, but but you've, you've talked about maybe delving into this at some point in time. You, 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 we've talked about this before, right? Like you might, you would maybe have interest in doing this at some point. I don't know. Is that putting do, you on the spot too much? Doing, do it, doing this podcast? Doing, doing a podcast or podcasting uh, or totally. blogging? Yeah. 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 I mean, this is like... Uh, I'm dipping my toe in. Yeah. Right now. I mean, you, you got a voice for radio, man. Like you sound like butter. You sound <laughs> good right you now. You said voice for radio, not face for radio. That's well, good. I've gotten that too. I've gotten that too. I'm so that's the, I, I can. Yeah. Brad, our, um, our former, uh, VP who's now like interim CTO. He said the same thing. He was like, you guys are great. You got great voices for radio. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, well, well, that's good. I hope that this gets you, um, to the next level maybe you get more you know the comfort here is is good enough and you're like okay i'm ready to do it i yeah. will see <laughs> i've got the equipment you can borrow it too so we you oh, know we better. can make it work i might hold you to that <laughs> we can totally do that um so yeah so anyway back to the news so the google event pixel 4 4xl live transcribe built-in radar and the the motion sense gestures that's another thing too so this is this is kind of cool i think this is this could be a useful one so it uses the camera to track motion so if i have the phone and I want to skip tracks. You can do things like this, and it'll like move the next track. Um, it's like the the next level of the gesture search. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So there, I don't know if it's application specific. I don't know how it knows what to do if it's just sitting there. But it sounds like you can manipulate certain things with it without having to pick up the phone and move it around, which is kind of nice. That's great. Yeah, very convenient. Um, that's about all for the Pixel. I don't think people were too surprised by that. It wasn't a big release. I think it's. I think they come. They're around six ninety nine. So I don't know. They're trying to. They're not trying to go the Apple route and charge you a grand for a phone, which is nice. Uh, it's still seven hundred bucks. It's still seven hundred. Yeah, that's not nothing. <laughs> and by the time you buy the accessories, you're pretty much in for a grand. I would say. Um, I know Remember that when a phone used to be a hundred bucks, hundred bucks. <laughs> well, what was it? it was free with a two year contract. Oh, right. Yeah. But it yeah. was never free. They are, they just tacked it onto your bill. What is this? I just want a phone that makes me coffee. Is that really too much to ask? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone's working on that somewhere. By the way, Christine, the spin coffee maker that we often talk about on the show does have Alexa featured. You know, it's Alexa enabled. Oh, great. And so you can say, like, Alexa, make me an espresso and perfect. fire away. Just make sure you put a cup under the dispenser. Otherwise, you won't be able to enjoy it. Um. What else came out of Google event, though? So there are a few other product announcements. Um, interestingly enough, like so they're transitioning all of their products into this kind of Nest namespace. And so you've got now because they acquired Nest, the thermostat company. And Nest, mm -hmm. I believe, was like one of the companies under Alphabet's, you know, uh, portfolio. Right. And yeah. they brought Nest back in under devices or something like that, like smart devices now. So um, but all the products are called, you know. Like, for example, Google Wi-Fi is now Nest Wi-Fi. Hmm. And so it's the so same. Like all their residential stuff or just the stuff that's like home automation and. Uh, I think yeah. it's mostly the home automation stuff. Okay. That makes sense. There's a few because there's like the Nest Mini. You remember they had the Google Mini speaker. Totally. Yeah. So it's, it looks the same. It walks the same. It talks the same. But it's um, but it's the Nest Mini now. I think they made some improvements to it. They said that the microphone. There's a third microphone now for better, so it can, uh, you know, respond or pick up commands better. And the speaker gets twice, twice as much bass out of the speaker. So they're making some 
minor <laughs> incremental improvement. I mean, not that there's any bass coming out of the mini before anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, so that came out. They have this Nest Wi-Fi that it's basically the Google Wi-Fi, but it's in a different looking chassis and it has a speaker, a smart speaker built in now. So for people that kind of want all in one, it can sit on your, it's more of a furniture piece now, mm-hmm. but it's your Wi-Fi access Sounds point. Sounds a lot speaker. like an Alexa. It's a very much so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. not, but it's the Nest Wi-Fi. Right. I mean, it sounds, sound, I need one of those too. Huh. Uh, and uh, a couple more they had. So everybody's doing wireless earbuds. And so they, you know, Google's no exception. They have the Pixel Buds. That, that was another uh, release that they had uh, yesterday as well. And nothing much to say about that. They don't look nearly as gnarly as the, there was one that came out, um, Amazon. Did you see? I don't know if you saw the Amazon earbud product that came out. Is it the one that looks like a cork? Yeah. Stick yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, it's their cork. It's their, but yeah, that's their wireless earbud. It looks goofy, but anyway, Google has a version now. And then the Pixelbook Go, kind of cool. This one's 649 which Pixelbooks could be kind of expensive. I mean, they had, they had some really shitty models that were inexpensive, and they had some that would be like, gosh, $1,700 price range. Is this running end. Chrome OS? Is it like, is a Chromebook? Chromebook, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a Chromebook. They're calling it Pixelbook Go, but yeah, it's a Chromebook. Looks pretty slick, um, and I love the battery life on these things. I mean, they can go the distance. Usually these things go like 15 hours or something like that. Really long. That's good. So for six fifty through an international flight. Yeah, you can yeah. exactly right. Download some movies. I had a Pixel Book for a minute. I mean, I couldn't do a lot with it at the time, but I'm sure they've improved it. Um, you can't do. A, I should say this: like, if you're on an airplane, other than like watching multimedia, I'm not sure what you can do because I think it really relies on being connected to do a lot. Right, and they really limit uh, what what you can do on the internet. They give you Wi-Fi these days, but what you can actually do with it is limited. Yeah, very limited. So. But a good price, a good book that can do a lot more now. 649, the Pixelbook Go. That's kind of the wrap-up of the May, Made by Google event. Um, the only other piece of news, and then we'll jump into our topic, which I'm really excited about because we're what? We're about 26 in. Well, about 30 minutes in. Mm-hmm. So we're about halfway there already. How are we already. doing so far? Doing pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we're halfway in. People are watching us. Nobody's turned us off yet. Uh <laughs> We sound like great. We have great radio voices. I think we're doing excellent, man. Okay, good. Um, Canva. They're you, not throwing eggs at the windows either. Nobody's so throwing anything good. at us. Nobody's coming up here. And my, my cup isn't totally empty yet. So, I mean, I'm about as good as I can get for a Wednesday evening. <laughs> have you used Canva before? Are you familiar with this product? I am not. I don't know why you, you know, I don't really use it, but it's a, it's a, marketing, it's a marketing tool. So, um, you know, Lauren used to use this all the time for marketing stuff. And basically what it was, Canva, it's a website you can go to. And it's it's kind of, a, oh, for lack of a better word, it's almost like a Photoshop Lite kind of an application oh, okay. where you can go in and you can create um, uh, different marketing materials, presentations, that sort of thing. So they let you uh, edit photos or is it more like um, creating a flyer or something like it's, that? It's, it, I mean, it's more like creating a flyer. Yeah. You get some basic editing capabilities, but not, not nothing too sophisticated, right? But that's kind of the point is that you pay them, you know, whatever, 10 bucks a month, and then you can make some really snazzy looking things. And it's all template based and they have, you know, thousands and thousands of templates and everything's very drag and drop. Um, it's a popular application because I think it, it does fill a gap where you want something that's a little more than just word art kind of a, what do I do? And then 
having to hire a designer or hire some kind of like firm, you know, design firm to make you some material. Yeah. Um, you want something in between. Something in between. And this fills that gap. And so Canva is very cool. They just raised another, they had another round. They raised 10 million. What shocked me wasn't that they raised 10 million though, that their valuation now is up to $3.2 billion. Wow. Major valuation to me this for is, a yeah. digital marketing kind of wizard, if you will. Yes. It's just, just, just the values of the, the new startups. Like, look in the last ten years, how common it is to have uh, above a billion dollar valuation. It's insane. Yeah, it's the trace unicorn, right? I mean, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah, but it's happening all over the place. So, Canva. Uh, if you if you're looking for, uh, maybe they could sponsor us. Come, we give them a plug right now. Yeah, you know? <laughs> just a small plug. But yeah, Do you Canva. Have any sponsors yet? I don't. Um, Unofficially. I mean, we've announced that we have lots of sponsors, but they've never really responded to our requests. So (laughs) we just talk about them kind of unofficially. Well, and one day they'll join on, you know, like we're still we're still growing. Throw throw a bone. Yeah. Throw a bone. And I'm not asking for much. I mean, the closest thing to a sponsorship we had was a former employee, a former quote wizard employee, uh, Simon. He's a he's a regular listener to the cast and he works at Starbucks and he actually sent us uh, he sends us uh, coffee beans from time to time. That's good. So, so we have a bit a of a start. sponsorship. It's a start. For the being the coffee code cast, getting some free coffee beans is pretty good. So I'm going to take that. And we can only go up from there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that's kind of uh, you know, that's kind of what's in the news right now. It was kind of a quiet news week. I didn't want to put a ton else in there just because we were going to be talking tech talk with Tim here and uh and uh DevOps and technology. So uh why don't we why don't we jump in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, a little bit first, just more background. I kind of had a few softball questions to throw out there, but I wanted to know a little bit more about you because we hang out a lot. We've known each other for a number of years now, but we don't really talk about this stuff a ton. Talk about it a little bit. Maybe more than, than some people listening to us would like, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not enough. That's true, but not yeah. enough, you know, like not enough. So I don't know, like tell me a little bit about the early days. Like what got you excited? What got you into technology? Oh, you mean like back when it was dinosaurs and way no, back. no DevOps? Like <laughs> no before DevOps and before the cloud and like, I don't know, maybe even before the Apple IIe, probably, the Commodore. I yeah. don't know yeah. how far back it goes. I mean, sure. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to try to tie this into DevOps. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, so like you think about what, uh, what it was like, what was the technology world like before, uh, you know, when the internet was new, right? So mid-90s. Yeah. Through the late, late nineties. First dot-com uh, bubble, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When, right. When the dot-com started happening before your average person even knew what that was. Right. You had some companies who like, as soon as the internet went commercial, immediately jumped on it before your average person even knew what that was. And it was amazing how fast that caught on. But then you think about those early companies and the practices they were using, the software practices they were using to develop the software that they were putting on their websites. Oh gosh. Um, it was all archaic practices, right? Like the practices became outdated immediately and they were still moving fast with these old practices, but the roots of the, of DevOps as a, as a thing, um, I think come from that, come from this, this need for these startups to try to figure out how do we move faster? How do we get the software out there? You know, how do we, how do we, you uh, pivot on our features and change, you know, what we're offering to, you know, the people who are using our website uh, and do it fast instead of doing the traditional software model where it's like, 
hey, this version comes out and then next year another version comes out, right? And you're waiting and waiting. And waiting, yeah. That, that, that never, that, well, it certainly doesn't fly now, but it didn't even in the dot-com days, right? You had to, there had to be new stuff coming out at least every few months. Um, and, and often, and, you know, as it got further along, you had to be faster than that. Um, and so, you know, a lot of startups were just like making it up as they went along. You had maybe a startup that was just a few people who were super smart and they just kind of cowboyed it, right? They did whatever. They just, you know, editing files directly on the server that people were hitting. Been there, done that. Exactly. Right. This, I mean, this is exactly how people moved fast. Um, and over time, and especially at bigger companies like that became successful when they, as they left the dot-com era, Amazon, Google, um, there are a few others, but those are the big ones that everyone will know. Uh, they had to figure out how do we take these things that contributed to our success? And then as we grow, how, as we become a big company, how do we capture the good parts of that without inheriting all the risk that's associated with somebody editing files on a production server, you know, and you know, all the, all the crashes that happened in the early days of the internet, but people sort of forgave it because it was new and it was internet and no one expected the internet to be stable all the time and up all the time. That's uh, a, it's a good, that's a good uh, illustration though. I mean, it's really about how can you be, how can you kind of take your cowboyness and also mitigate some of the risk because right. before you couldn't have both. It was like, you're going to go fast, but you're going to fail. Yep. Yep. And, and we did a lot of that. I remember FTPing to the server or making, before we even had repositories, we would just make copies of folders and last version, you know, like old. We had yeah. the old folder yeah. on the desktop, yeah. you There's, know. I've got this file and then I've got the <laughs> other file, yeah. Yeah, you make a change and you try to test it beforehand before, like you have maybe two versions of your website out there. You do your the best you know how to do and then, okay, let's put it live. And then you grit your teeth a little. I hope this hold works your breath. Yeah, exactly. And then... Maybe you don't actually, if it's some subtle thing, you don't know it's broken until some customer tells you. And like none of that, that that's, not, that's not good. You don't want your customer to tell you before you know there's a problem. Right. Um, if you can avoid it. Uh, and, and so that's, I mean, that, that's the root of what DevOps, where it came from, right? This, this, you know, we can do better. How do we do better? And I think there were already talks about this. There were already uh, uh, conferences and, you know, that I was, or like news feeds where people were talking about this. How do we do better as early as 99, 2000? Really? Yeah. That's what I was going to yeah. ask you is like, when did this start to even become an idea before it was a thing? And mm -hmm. you, and it was really back then. Well, I wouldn't say it was code of, I wouldn't say it was like, you know, now it's pretty clear what DevOps is, at least to people who are doing it. You know, once you're in it, it's, there's not a lot of disagreement about, um, at the edges, there's lots of disagreement, but the core, it's pretty, pretty clear what the basic principles are. This is still people disagreeing, but it's people talking about it. People saying, acknowledging we need something. We need to start figuring out some common yeah. methodologies. So, you know, and envisioning a world where, hey, person can leave company A and go to company B and know that they already agree with these same modern practices, right? And, and you don't get there until people talk about that and uh, agree that they need it. Um, yeah, so that's what was happening in 2000. And, um, Riley and Associates, who you, you, you know, it's like oh, the all books, those, the picture books, right? Yeah. yeah, they have the animals on the front, and uh, everyone who's in software has probably owns at least a couple of these. It's like a white cover with one solid color on it, or something with yeah. like a title, and, and they always have animals. an animal on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they they used to sponsor these things called the Velocity 
conference. And those were really the first DevOps conferences. Uh, and very quickly after that started happening, somebody came up with that, that, that term DevOps. And I think it was like 2009. It might've been wow. late 2008, but, but even as, uh, even in 2005, I think those practices were starting to emerge. They were happening in pockets at different companies. Yeah. That's so fascinating to me too, because I've just maybe been working at cowboy places for way too long, but like, this is a relatively new term to me within the last five years. I don't think before then I even had any concept of what that was, that it existed or that it was out there. Maybe even until I met you, because I know that when we met, we talked and, th and that was the first time I probably heard about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been doing, that. <laughs> I've been in, involved in that community for a long time. Um, and, uh, uh, it, it, I thought it, I actually was very pleasantly surprised when I started seeing this term around and I'm like, what is that? Is that what I think it is? And, and that as I yeah. you know, learned more about it, it was, it was, it became pretty clear that this is, that was the community that I was involved in. And I just didn't even, I didn't know that that was the name they were using. I was doing of, it, but didn't know that. Yeah. And a lot of people were like that because it was just somebody who started using the term and then it sort of caught on. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody really knows who that, I, I'll bet you there's 12 people who claim that they invented the we term. We started it. Right? I started it. Yeah. <laughs> Going back a minute though, like where did you get your start? Were you an engineer originally and then kind of evolved into this uh, space or? Yeah. If by originally you mean like first job out of college. Uh, sure. Yeah, I was a software engineer. Yeah. Um, and I was very entrepreneurial already. Yeah, 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 yeah. Should have another beer. You should, man. <laughs> we got one right here. It's getting warm. The Rockies are still blue, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, coming from a background where I was already starting, you know, businesses, doing businesses in college and stuff, and then finishing and, and going to work for, a, you know, de the defense industry, actually writing software for them, you know, software that launched satellites, um, or rather monitored those things that were launched once they were launched to make sure they got where they were supposed to go, wow. be, they, be they missiles or satellites. Um, seeing that and seeing how slow the government moved compared to how quickly I could move when I was just doing a project with my friends in college and I'm like, hey, let's make this thing happen. And you'd get it done like fast, right? And then seeing how long things took and seeing how comparatively little is delivered for those huge costs. Yeah, it might've had a lot more refinement. You know, there were a lot more requirements like, like this thing can never fail ever kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, but, but that really made me appreciate when I, went back into starting my own business and doing consulting those those practices that let you move faster and let you do it while still being reliable and let you know like while still having some you know discipline around how you measure whether you're reliable or not because some of those applications when you're talking about government and military and that sort of thing i mean it's going to be so far on the other spec end of the spectrum of you know we can't accept any amount of risk right and then, you know, and maybe you guys are over here just like deploying willy nilly still. But this is a pretty good safe place for, of compromise where it's like we can be pretty safe and accept some amount of risk. But at least we're delivering. Yeah. Regularly. Well, and side note with government stuff, they still have, you know, this is pockets of it everywhere, although they do have places where they're embracing DevOps in, in pockets with some extra controls. Uh, but there's this big machine, right, where a lot of their incentives uh, we're, we're in the wrong place. Like the contractors who were producing the software for the government 
had every incentive for the process to be long and drawn out. Oh, of course. And require extra time and extra engineers, right? In the they, name of safety, but really. Right. They had no, <laughs> there's no incentive to make it cost less and, no. you know, go faster. And, and, you know, at least not on the contractor side, right? And the, the government uh, wasn't doing a great job at applying the right kinds of pressure, you know, to make that happen, right? Because the, the people who knew that it was possible weren't working for the government. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, it, yeah, um, it, it makes sense that it took as long as it did and, it, and that it's still uh, lots of really big enterprises and, you know, governments um, um, aren't, aren't doing it yet. So I want to back up for just a second because we have a fairly broad audience. Some folks are technical, some not so much. And I, I think... Yeah, that was pretty technical. It no, which is <laughs> which is great. Uh, but I will, and, and I'll caveat it with this: like even within our own organization here, um, I'm finding this to be true that DevOps has takes on many meanings to different people. And so, depending on yeah. where you are in the business, if they hear ops, they assume that it's like help desk or IT or some form of support. Um, yeah, maybe give everyone our listeners, you know, your uh, high level version of what is DevOps. I actually have a note here on this. Like, oh, awesome! I, I you pre- you're the most prepared, by <laughs> the way. It's funny too. because I didn't need any of this stuff. <laughs> no, because you know <laughs> but, it all. But it uh, it helps to have it. Um, yeah. So uh, I actually like this this quote. I think I got it from the, the Wikipedia article, um, but I unfortunately can't quote the exact source. So we'll have to go find that later. Maybe we can always. Care. Kyle can put a link in the show notes later. That's fine. Okay. Um, so they described it, DevOps is the practice of operations and development engineers participating together in the entire service lifecycle from design all the way through the development process to production support. Um, so it's a collaboration. It's collaboration, but in, in actually there's things I like about this and, and don't like about it. One of the things I like about it is you can talk about, well, what does that really, what does that really mean? Right? Like the very, dis- that very description actually implies that there's a difference between, you know, the people who are operating and the people who are developing and which is true. That's how almost every software business in the world used to operate, even like internet services. And it is not necessarily how the really modern ones operate anymore. And like really advanced DevOps is you've just got a bunch of engineers and pretty much most of them have some operational skill and, and, so, and then also some development skill and it's this just sliding gambit, um, but the basic premise is still the same. They're doing it together. It's a participation instead of this like, okay, we write the software and then we hand the software to these other people. Now they, you figure out how right. to get it out. Yeah, exactly. That's how it used to work, right? Like people wrote the software and then some other group tested the software and there was a lot of back and forth between the testers and the writers before it even got handed off to the people who deployed it and operated it. And then if they find a problem, uh, they don't, really know what's going on with the software, right? So they they have to rely on the the manuals being good, which were written by weren't written by the people who wrote the software. You know, you have so you have all this this chain of things before it ever gets out to where people are using it that that get in the way of delivering good, high quality software. Um, That's interesting because I think we probably operate out of both modes a little bit. I mean, I was a little worried talking to you before the show that we were doing things completely wrong. But this is interesting because it it is more collaborative maybe than I recognized because we do work really closely. I mean, it is separate individuals, though. Um, But but we do. I mean, the engineers themselves spend a lot of time. The, the developers spend a lot of time with the DevOps engineers kind of like working through it together. 
So maybe we're not totally off base. It's yeah, interesting. I mean, um, let me think about another way to say that. So really it's a journey, right? Like, um, it, it is a set of philosophy. It's as much a set of philosophies, uh, and culture, um, as it is, you know, methodologies and practices and, you know, prescribed skills. Like it's, it's actually more about the, the philosophy and the culture and the, the, this is a better way to do things. Um, and actually it has some, um, there's some things that sound very Zen-like when you start going and reading <laughs> DevOps books. There's, they talk about the flow and you want to get the flow of development just right and you don't want to interrupt somebody's flow. Uh, there's a lot of aspects of that sound almost religious or at least you know philosophical in just about any really good DevOps book that you read or you know articles that describe how to sort of embrace it. Um, and I think that's important. It's, it's about a philosophy about how you run your company or at least how you run your team. Um, and, uh, and embedded in that philosophy is a, is, are some really great things like trust. Trust the people that are writing the software, you know, but maybe trust but verify. Trust but verify, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But still trust, right? And there's so the, and empowerment. Things like this that, um, you know, that don't sound very technical, right? But when you... Uh, and and that uh, a lot of business owners would have scoffed at 20 years ago. Like, ah, we don't need any of that, right? Uh, Sounds but, like additional overhead, right? Just push the damn thing out there, right? Well, yeah, but but I mean, if you, at, at the end of the day, like if you're the business owner and you're hiring the, these engineers and they're actually writing the stuff that you as an, a non-technical owner, not that all business owners are non-technical, but you might not understand what, what all they're doing anyway. You, you just let that go and you just trust them and you trust that they know what they're doing. And then you make sure that they're kind of following some discipline, uh, that, 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 you know, that's that verify part Yeah. <laughs> and make sure that, that they actually know what the best practices are and you agree with those and you agree that one of the goals is, Hey, this thing needs to be reliable and running, you know, uh, almost all the time. Um, and you can have a conversation about what that means. Does that mean, you know, 99.999 or how many nines do you want to tack on and for sure how we're much dealing does that, with that cost? right now here too yeah um we're talking about that's a whole other discussion for another time but i know that we kind of established some internal goals within the it ops group ourselves is what we want to do and and then that gets into all other conversation of like well in order to achieve that level of uptime we might have to look at in addition to geo redundancy maybe like multi-cloud and those those types of things it gets bigger from there Right. And that, I mean, all of that is wrapped up in, if you're really like fully DevOps, all of that should be wrapped up in your methodology. Uh, but like I was saying earlier, it's a journey and it's, um, there are, uh, you, you, you've got to start somewhere. And if you're an already existing company um, that existed before these practices existed, or you started when it wasn't so common that your average person knew about it, and you got to get there and you want to, if you want to take advantage of it, you have to start somewhere. And so one of the places, you know, like one way to start is to have one team following those practices or one product group following those practices, see how it goes. Right. And then sort of iteratively get better, which is another um, sort of agile or, you know, DevOps uh, practices. Don't try to make it perfect the first time. Right. right? Don't worry about getting it perfect don't worry about getting it right absolutely right the first time get it close enough and then continuously improve it and and understand how you 
ask those hard questions about, well, what did we do wrong? What do people not like about this? You know, how can we do better? And that's part of the, that's part of DevOps too, is this continual process of self-reflection, reflection as a team, not only about your product, but about yourself as a team and how you're doing as a team and how you're interacting with each other. And a little yeah. bit of uh, across discipline, you get a little bit of this like lean improvement, lean process improvement in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we and, and our genesis has been interesting because in the beginning it was I, when I started here six years ago, it was five and a half now years ago, literally like it was an FTP service that would push files to the web server. I mean, that was our deployment process. That was like every website. Right. In, in, in 96. Right. I know. And, and the, then. The cool feature that this had was this particular utility would would do you the solid of backing up whatever was going into production first, like the, what was in production it would back it up and then deploy your code. So that if you had to revert, you could like grab the previous version somewhere and override, you know, what screwed up. Now, you still kind of do some of that, right? You just have a, a little more sophisticated way of, of handling of that. handling it. Yeah. So that's where we started. And then and then over time, it got more sophisticated and, and we started introducing um, like Team City Jenkins type stuff and Octopus for deploys and, and it started to grow. But really, it was only, gosh, three years ago, one of our engineers, um, we were running into problems with our deployment process and we had a big monolith and it was causing a lot of headache and a lot of outages because it was so large that we're like, hey, we need someone to try to figure this out. Like, how can we really make sure this is more stable going out and, and work on it? And so I remember at the time, like, he's still on the team right now. He's one of the one of the key guys, and it was a, a big decision. Like, do I really leave development to go into this space? You know, this kind of, like, ether of, like, I'm leaving development now, and I'm going to try to be this DevOps guy. Right. And they kind of called it that, but it wasn't even because I think we even knew what it was at the time. It was just like, oh, I'm supporting the development part of it. And... Yeah, he's been with it for three years, and now we've grown the team to we have, well, we will have four members in the next, by the end of the month, so. That's actually a good segue to the other stuff we wanted to talk about. Yeah. We're talking about monoliths. Yeah. And, like, breaking down a monolith into uh, something that's more reliable. Like, why was the monolith not reliable? Um, that's a good question, and I will get into it. I just want to point out, we're at 50 minutes already. Oh, see, wow. see what happened? So we, like, really got to. So I want to make sure that we don't leave any, like, good stuff out there or it just yeah. means that we need to make this a two-parter which is totally fine too yeah maybe it's a two-parter um, but but yeah but um so i'll keep an eye on the clock and and but either way um i knew we needed time for this because there was a lot to unpack here so this is great um but the monolith so why was it not reliable was the was your question yeah or? i mean like um this is this was a super common thing so not like as devops started becoming more common then you start seeing a lot of problems like Hey, we're deploying software more often. We're, we're, we're a little less change averse, right? Where maybe we're deploying our software once every couple of weeks instead of every few months. And, but we do a change and something goes wrong and we don't necessarily know what went wrong because it's this huge monolith. Like everything's this one big thing, right? Our, um, our problem was simply that we didn't have a repeatable process. And so when we would do a deployment, uh, well, a couple of things like we we never we were never um, confident enough to deploy the entire thing. I guess that was the bigger issue. And so what as a result, what would happen is, well, I maybe made a change to this part of the application and therefore I'm just going to push the DLL in this case dot net. I'm going to push the DLL out for this component. Yeah, but I'm not pushing everything out. And so over time, 
you've got like very different versions of things out there and we never were able to do a complete deployment of the entire system or in the early days of our DevOps pipe, you know, journey, it was like, we're going to deploy everything, but now it took in some cases 40 or 60 minutes to get it all out there. And and if there was a problem, then like reverting, it took another 30 minutes. I mean, you're taking 90 minutes of downtime, maybe. This is what modern patterns are. And, and, you know, a system like Kubernetes is meant to address, but I don't actually don't think we have too much time to get into Kubernetes. But the next one should be a Kubernetes maybe, yeah, um, topic then. But but we could talk about like this this move towards microservices, absolutely, and toward a service oriented architectures for software, and and those things are meant to address some of these problems you just talked about with monoliths. And actually, you were kind of doing a little. You have all these DLLs, and they do what they do, but they're actually different deliverables like they're separate like mm-hmm. i could i could push the dll out nothing else and all i changed was whatever that dll did that's right right and that's actually kind of a precursor to microservices so um it is i'm just changing just this one function yeah or just this file that might be a library of functions but when you take it like to the all the way out to where it, where it's really fully microservices every Every module, every everything you can deploy is just doing one function, or or a very small set of very closely related functions, and you're changing only that. And I'm going to only change one thing about that one thing every time, you know. And so that the the chances that that is a problem are smaller, and two, the the, the my ability to diagnose or roll it back or you know fix it if I if we made a you know make a change that breaks something is much better. Um, and that's kind of this this uh, this thing that now goes hands in hands with with DevOps, and that is continuous delivery, continuous deployment. Um, that's those tools are another way you get more reliable, and you can't do that if you have this big monolith uh, that you know just one application. You got to deploy it all or none. That was um, our problem: is that we now now we made one feature change, or maybe even like a small bug fix to one part of the code, but the entire system is going to take an outage potentially. Right. Because we have to put everything out there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those struggles are why we see this next you know, stage in, in software development, why, why everyone's moving to containers uh, and Docker um, and, and why things like Kubernetes, um, what, you know, what, what sets the stage for that, for wanting, oh, how do I manage all my containers? Well, you first might want to talk about why do people care about containers? Like yeah. Why, why, why do did we that? move to containers? You know, like, uh, um, would, would you take it so far though, as to say, it's kind of like uh, the, the programming paradigm of like single responsibility principle is like the microservice. And so like, it's really one thing that exactly it goes hands and it goes hand in hand with the ability to have, uh, you, you know, actually break the responsibility that individuals have, and, and lower the, it down. Like you no longer need to have, you might not need to have one person who knows how all the pieces fit, fit together or, or a small group of people who understand how that's composed together, but they don't have to be export in any of, any of the individual pieces. Like those little pieces can be black boxes mm-hmm. as far as the person who's composing how they work together is concerned. They don't need to know as long as the, as long as the, that black box inherently has a contract, like this, this piece of little micro piece of software behaves this way on the outside wow. and I'm going to change things on the inside and I'm going to write a bunch of tests 
that verify that I'm behaving on the outside the way I told you I'm going to behave. So now you can just use this thing like it's a tool, you know, that does what you expect the tool to do without having to know what, what's going on inside. Right? It feels truly micro because now it makes me feel like from OOP, you know, you've got the concept of interface and you do that in code all the time, but it's yeah. almost like we're going to take one interface and make that its own service and then boom, put it That's out there. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Crazy. You take what used to be a function in software and you, that, that thing that was a function in a huge thing of code becomes its own service, uh, you know, or maybe a small group of functions becomes its own service. But it makes yeah. sense because now your software is so far distributed that really you can't bring the whole thing down. Like that you really are minim mitigating risk to such a level that you might not even be able to have an outage. I mean, it'd be a very minor one or, you know, yeah, you or maybe just that it. one function breaks. So only that one thing is broken, not your whole app, yeah. not your whole website. Uh, and uh, yeah. And not only is it uh, spreading risk, making things a little less, both making them less really risky and spreading the risk out, but, but also letting you move faster because now people can be more focused on just, okay, I'm doing this one thing, I'm making this one change. Um, uh, we're making sure that that worked the way it's supposed to. All of our testing just has to worry about this little smaller box instead yeah. of the whole thing. Uh, it, it just, it really does. It's all about improving. It's all about improving reliability and getting features out into your software faster, right? And which ultimately is about improving business value, which makes more money if you're doing it right. Right. Yeah. And so getting back to the concept, I guess, of, and we're at 57, so we're wow. really not in a lot of time. That's wow, just a lot to talk nine. about here. So much to talk yeah. about. We barely got started. Um, but as far as like the relationship between, you know, the DevOps and, and, and engineers, I mean, it is a collaboration you've talked about, but then too, like, where's, where is the handoff? I mean, is it really just like DevOps is just, they're working together, but it's really about making sure that you can get your stuff out there quicker. Um, what are the boundaries, I guess, between the two? Uh, between DevOps and, 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 and engineering, and, like just general engineering. I mean, I think it, it, if it's just a software company, right, if you're just talking or even just the parts of the company that are involved in writing and delivering the software, you know, take sales or other pieces of the company out of the mix for now, although really there should be more integration. But just talking about the software for now, um, if you're really doing it right, like when you get, um, you're never done with this DevOps journey, but mm -hmm. as you start getting to where, you're, you know, you're past the journeyman stage and you're kind of in mastery and you're just trying to be moved further along on your mastery, then the difference between any of your engineers in that organization should, should I mean, those lines should be really blurred. There shouldn't be lines anymore. Wow. It should be more about, we have these practices and every engineer does one or more of these practices. We'd prefer if most engineers do at least a couple of them. Um, and you, you know what the practices are, you know what the roles are, but you let people wear multiple hats. Wow. Um, and you just, you define the roles, you define the responsibilities and roles without necessarily saying this person is always, you know, has to be this way. Like maybe they are for a while, you know, like they, cause someone has to be responsible for something and you have, or a team or a person, you have to know who they are, but it, it allows more flexibility. So you end up having happier people, right? They know that they can. If they want to evolve, they can. They have a way to grow in the in the company by learning other skills. You don't silo your operations person to never be anything else, and you you don't you know make it so that your software developer can't ever you know think about how do we make 
you know, our performance better or our network better, or, you know. So, I mean, as an engineer and I could, I could go on to the op, I could be focusing on operations for three to six months. Sure. I mean, I if you have back. the right skills, right. Or, or, or you have a path to learn those skills. And often I think you get better collaboration. You get a better understanding of, you can write better software if you know what the people who are operating that software have to deal with. Completely. And a lot of small companies, there is no difference between the people writing the software and the people operating it. They're the same people. Wow. There's no, there's no difference. And um, if, if you have to operate the software that you write, you write it a different way. Sure. Uh, if you write software that you never operate and you hand it off to somebody and the, and the people who operate it actually never directly talk to you, then you're going to write software that's hard to operate because you just don't know what it's like to operate it. Yeah. We're at time, which I'm bummed at because I would love to keep this going. So we're going to have to have you back. I'll have a part two sometime. We'll talk about that after the show and see when we get you back on here. But I really appreciate you coming out. I'm going to give you the last word before we close. Is there anything else you want to say? No. Well, I'm (laughs) super surprised how fast this goes. Yeah. (laughs) I actually thought we were going to cover more ground. Um, but yeah, this is, this was fun. This was good. Yeah. It's good to awesome. And you'll be back then. I take it. Uh, sure. Excellent. If you'll have me. I love it, man. I love it. With that, uh, let's bring this one home. Wow. Fastest hour ever possibly, Tim. Ah, that was another episode of the coffee Codecast. You guys wrapping it up here. Our artwork, our wonderful artwork is provided by your uh, you can check out more of his work at coffeecodecast.com slash gentle giant. Check us out at Facebook and Twitter or email us at coffeecodecast at gmail.com. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can find all this and more on our website, www.coffeecodecast.com. If you like the show, jump on over to coffeecodecast.com slash review and help us out with a quick review rating in a few words. As always, we thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week for episode 53.